The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Have you ever had that experience when you're driving, maybe just like across town or maybe across the state to see family or something? You're driving, and you're driving, and you're driving, and then all of a sudden you sort of realize that you forgot you were driving. And you're like, you're, you almost can't believe like, how far you've come, how, how have you made those turns, and, and you're just kind of going and going, and it's, it's almost like you, you wonder how you got to where you are. Or um, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing some things around the house and uh, needed something from the hardware store. So I get my old truck, drive over to the 27th and normal Ace Hardware store over there, you know, and, and I get inside. This, this routinely happens to me at Ace Hardware. I get inside, and I stop, and I say, what in the world did I come here for again? Has ever happened to you? All right. Well, I'm pretty sure that that happened to the Apostle Paul too. He was human, but I'm also sure it didn't happen to him with respect to him wanting to and eventually getting to visit Rome. All right. See, Paul, when, when, when we dig into this passage that Brian just read, Paul longs to visit Rome. He is absolutely passionate about it. Right, you, you get the sense that he's, he's not going to get halfway there and, and sort of tune out on autopilot and be like, where was I going now? I mean, you, you get this, he's not going to get there. He's not going to look around and, and, and ask himself, what was I coming here for again? <laughs> right? No, Paul really wants to be there. So much so that in verse 13, he tells them that he wants to, them to be aware that he has often tried to get to them. But he's been prevented thus far. You see, Paul, we, we love the letter of the Romans, right? Um, but Paul, he didn't just want to write to the Romans, he wants to see the Romans. He wants to visit the Romans. He wants to be with the Romans. And as we read this, what we learn here is how Paul views the communion of saints, which is something that we believe in as Christians, right? You can trace it all the way back to the Apostles' Creed in the 4th century. In fact, every major stream of Western Christianity, whether it's Catholicism or Protestantism or even within that Lutherans, Baptists, Presbyterians, Independent Bible Church guys, all of them, right, all Christians everywhere affirm, I believe in the communion of saints. Now, this isn't a sermon on all that that phrase, communion of saints, entails, but it's certainly a portion of it. And I'm leaning on that phrase because of Paul's desire to be with the Roman Christians, his desire to commune with them, and his having just called them, what? Saints. Right there at the the verse prior to our text this morning. In fact, we could summarize this passage by saying that it is all about Paul's longing to enjoy and participate in the communion of saints in Rome. And as such, it teaches us about, number one, the Christian's attitude toward the communion of saints. And number two, the Christian's action in the communion of saints. Your attitude toward and your action in the communion of saints. That's what we're going to look at this morning. If you've closed your copy of the scripture, go ahead and open it back up to Romans chapter 1. It's page 939 in my Bible, in that pew Bible in front of you. Romans 1, verses 8 through 15 this morning. And there's, there's three things here, actually, in verses 8 just through 11, that I want you to see that reflect to us Paul's, and by extension, the Christian's attitude toward the communion of saints. The, the first is the spirit of thanksgiving. Look at verse 8 with me. First, it says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. 
Now remember here, Paul, he, he's never met these sisters and brothers. Never met them. Um, he doesn't know them. It's not like they used to hang out and he sent them up to Rome to plant a church. Um, he wasn't visiting Rome and, and had planted a church and I was writing back to them like he often does in the New Testament letters. No, Paul and the Romans have never actually met and yet Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Well, he tells us why, actually, because their faith is proclaimed in all the world. That's why. Paul is thankful. Right? He has a, a spirit of thanksgiving. It's part of his attitude. He has a spirit of thanksgiving for the saints in Rome simply because of their faith in Jesus. <laughs> He's blown away by the fact that they even exist. <laughs> These Christians in Rome. You see, Rome was, Rome was the Gentile capital of the world, okay? Um, one writer describes Rome back then saying, she, that's Rome, was the eternal city which had given them peace, the fount of law, the center of civilization, the, the mecca of poets and orators and artists, while also being a home of every kind of idolatrous worship, Okay, uh, this is Washington, D.C., meets New York City, throw in some Hollywood and not just a little bit of Vegas, all right? That's, that's, that's Rome, and the gospel had spread there, <laughs> there. I mean, can, can you imagine, the, can you imagine the potential, the excitement that Paul felt when he found out that there's believers in Rome? How did it get there? Well, <laughs> by an absolute miracle of God's providential grace, that's how the gospel got there. Most likely, the gospel made it to Rome because there just so happened to be some Romans in Jerusalem back on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Right, where Peter preaches the first sermon and the Spirit is poured out. Right, They heard the gospel. They were saved. Most likely, then returned to the city of Rome and shared this good news about Jesus with others. And a church was born. Probably didn't look a lot like this. Probably looked more like house church at that time in, in Rome. Okay? And so when Paul hears about these Roman Christians, when their faith was proclaimed in all the world, making it all the way back to Paul, he gives thanks to God for them, even though he's never met them. How much more ought we to give thanks to God for the faith of brothers and sisters whom we have met, whom we do know? I got a text from Dave Como last Sunday evening, and um, He's the church planter that we're supporting out in Weymouth, Massachusetts, just out of Boston there. And he sent me this picture. Remember last Sunday morning, we were praying for them. And if you were here, we were praying for, uh, for Dave Como and the, the very first core group gathering of the church plant out there, Emmanuel Church that they're, they're planting. Um, this is that core group gathering. And by the way, uh, Dave and Eric both messaged me saying that their time here at Two Pillars that week that they were here in town, the, the, the potluck that we did with them, they said that was the highlight of their entire trip. And they came, they met with a lot of pastors, a lot of ministry leaders, they even went down to Kansas City after this, met with a seminary and, and some of that sort of stuff, and they said, hey, when we got back home, all the way home, we were saying, our time at Two Pillars was the best. They loved being here, probably because of those meatballs. Probably also, no, they said, hey, the food was great, um, but what was really great was sharing with you all, feeling the sense of unity that we have in Christ, being prayed over. So we were really, really encouraged by that. And I wanted to encourage you with that. Now listen, the only person I've ever met in this picture up here is Dave. Okay? I'm, I'm sure the same is true for you. If, if you. Maybe you haven't met any of these people, maybe just Dave, right? Um, but I thank God for the brothers and sisters in that picture. I thank God for them because of their faith. It is a miracle of God's providential grace that 
20 or 30 people sat in that gymnasium hearing about and praying for and planning to start a church. And as I reflected on that this last week, it struck me, it, it is just as much a miracle of God's providential grace that any of us are here this morning. I mean, can you believe that two pillars even still exist? <laughs> I mean, seriously, right? Can you believe that any of us are actually Christians? <laughs> Belonging to Christ Jesus. Remember how Paul described us last week? Loved by God. Called saints. It's all a miracle of God's providential grace. And when you think about that, the response that ought to well up inside of you with respect to the brothers and sisters sitting around you, even right now in this room, ought to be a response of incredible thanksgiving. Just thankfulness to God. We ought to look around this room, and not just this room, but certainly this room. We ought to look at our fellow saints and say to one another with Paul, I thank my God, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. All of you, he says. Not just some of you. Not, not just the ones that think like me on X, Y, or Z social issue. No, the, the attitude of our heart toward the communion of saints here at Two Pillars ought to be a spirit of thanksgiving to God. He's done this. He has. We thank him for it. We're not thanking each other, we're thanking God. He saved the believers in this room. He started this church. He's established it. He strengthened it. All glory goes to him. The Christian's attitude toward the communion of saints ought to first be one of thanksgiving. Secondly, now, the Christian's attitude toward the communion of saints ought to be one of importance. And you say, where is that in the text? Well, Paul prays for him, doesn't he? He tells us about that. In the, in the flow of his argument, he prays for the Romans precisely because he is thankful for them, or to put it another way, they're important to him. Look, look, at, verse, look at verse 9 here in the text. For God is my witness. Paul's not blowing smoke, right? He's, he's not over-exaggerating. He invokes the witness of God. For God is my strength, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, he prays like this all the time, without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He prays for them. Why? Because he's thankful for them and they're important to him. Think about it this way. Um, what do you pray for? Uh, how often do you pray for something or someone that really isn't that important to you? You know, unless other Christians around you, you have to. You know, I'm talking about your personal prayer life. How often do you pray for someone or something that's not that important? Not that much, do we? No, our, our prayers follow what we value. And when we value... The communion of saints. When we value the church, when our attitude toward it is one of importance, we pray for the church. We pray for the unity of the church. We pray for the protection of the church. And not just the church. Remember, Paul is, is being very tangible here, and we should be too. We pray for the unity of our church, Two Pillars Church. We pray for the protection of this church, for the faith and the followers of this church, for, the, for one another's perseverance and encouragement and endurance in the faith. We pray for one another. And so ask yourself this morning, what does my prayer life for Two Pillars Church reveal about my attitude toward the communion of saints? What does it reveal? Does it reveal, in, in keeping with 
the Apostles' Creed, right? That I believe in the communion of saints. Or does it reveal, you know, I could probably really take or leave the communion of saints. Hmm. A Christian's attitude toward the communion of saints ought to be one of thanksgiving, one of importance, and thirdly now, one of longing to be together. Listen to the whole flow of it again, beginning in in verse 8. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Why? For I long to see you, he says. He longs to see them. And we'll get to a little bit more of the why here, a little bit more in our second point, but let's not rush past the attitude of longing. This language of Paul's, it's not actually unique to his letter to the Romans. Paul writing from prison to the Philippians, he says that he yearns for the Philippians. It's the same word. In his letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3.6, he talks about how Timothy had come to them, um, had come from them, the Thessalonians, to him, reporting how the Thessalonians had longed to see Paul and the others, just as he says, we long to see you. Or even more personally, in his first letter to Timothy, he says, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. (laughs) Joy. Church, Paul shows us here, doesn't he, that in Romans and in his other letters, the, the Christian's attitude toward the communion of saints ought to be marked by a longing to see one another. As the church, we're thankful for one another. We value one another, and we long to see one another. Uh, early in the pandemic, I, w- when everybody was in lockdown, like everyone everywhere, you know, where everyone was sort of like locked down, doing virtual church, no gatherings, uh, live stream only. We were doing it from the Geneva house back then. Remember that? That was fun. Not. And back, it was like April of 2020 that I'm talking about. But back then, I came across this article, and I couldn't find it this week to exact to quote it exactly like I wanted to. But the author was looking at how Paul writes to the churches in the New Testament, and he's pointing out that he's always longing to be with them, just like we see here. To the Romans, the Philippians, the Thessalonians, even to Timothy and Ephesus. And this author used the example, April 2020, he used the example of Paul's longing to essentially issue a heart check to Christians at that time. Again, a time when the pandemic prevented basically any churches anywhere from from gathering together at all. And the heart check went like this. What do you find yourself, what do you find in yourself increasing? A comfortability of being at home or a longing to gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Which is growing more? And and listen, it wasn't an article trying to shame anyone. You know, it it wasn't a rebuke for not going to church at the time. Nobody could. That's why it was such a brilliantly timed piece. It was simply a heart check as we sat and we waited in that season. What's increasing? What's growing more? See, the comfort or the longing? It's a good question to ask if we believe in the communion of saints. 
That's a good question to continue to ask. Is there a longing in you to, to see your brothers and sisters in Christ, to be together like this? And how thick is that longing? How substantial is it? This past Tuesday, I was having breakfast with a couple of my pastor friends up at the Engine House Cafe there in Havelock. You know which one I'm talking about. And, and of course, masks are a thing now, okay? Uh, again, or still, depending on who, who you are, you know? And, and we're, we're requiring them now during our Sunday morning services. Most other churches are as well. And so we're, we're talking about it. Pastors can't get together right now without talking about stuff like this. It's kind of frustrating, but it's, it's also good. Right, And uh, it's a complex issue. There are people in the world who have extremely valid reasons for, for not uh, wearing a mask. And, and there are people in the world who have an extremely valid reason for wanting everyone to, to, to wear a mask. You know this, right? Can we talk about this? Can we talk about the issue? It's, it's an issue. And, and we, we want to handle it with, with care. And we want to handle it with, with kindness and gentleness. But listen, here's, here's what got me, though. I'm, sitting there talking with these friends at the Engine House Cafe, and one of my pastor friends told me of how um, early in the pandemic in their church, they had some people leave because they were not requiring masks. Some people left, okay? In just in case you're like, oh, what? That's a very common thing happening in churches today, okay? It, like everywhere. Um, and, and he told me, but he went on, he said, now, here's the thing, you know, the DHMs are different now, and, and the requirements are a little bit different now, so now we are requiring masks in our service, and he said, now we have people leaving because we are. And it's funny, and it's heartbreaking. Because if you, if you play those two things out, right, and if everybody in the church had to adopt one of those two positions, guess what doesn't exist anymore? That church it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. We should weep when we hear stories like that. It's heartbreaking. And those issues aren't unique to their church. And here's what I'm doing this week. I'm studying Romans 1, right? I'm studying about Paul longing to see the, the, the Christians in Rome. And I'm, I'm reflecting on this conversation with with my brother in Christ, pastor in another church, and I couldn't help think about Paul. I mean, can you imagine Paul getting to Rome and finally, finally getting to Rome, finding one of these most likely house churches, getting to the door, and, and someone meets him at the door and says, I'm sorry, Mr. Paul, but you got to put a mask on first before you come in. How do you think Paul would have responded? I mean, how thin would his sense of longing to see them have to have been to, to actually turn around and say, you know what, I'm good. Never mind. Never mind. How thin would his belief have to be in the communion of saints? And just in case you haven't read 1 Corinthians 9 for a little while, this is the same Paul, right, who, who says... To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I might share with them in its blessings. Share with the brothers and sisters in Christ in its blessings. You know what I think Paul would have said if he met him at the door and told me he had to put a mask on? I think he would have said, fine. I mean, do you even understand what I had to go through to get here? It's a miracle of God's providential grace that I'm even here. <laughs> Arrested. Escaped a murder plot by like 40 people who were conspiring against him to attack and murder him while he was arrested. Put on trial, goes through the entire appeals process, appealing eventually to to Caesar himself. I mean, read the last eight chapters of the book of Acts. Shipwrecked, snake bit, house arrest. (laughs) Why would he go through all that? Because he was thankful for their faith. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, they were important to him. Because he believed in the communion of the saints, he longed to see them. This is Paul's attitude toward the communion of the saints. Maybe reflected in ours as well. And just for the record, in case you're making assumptions about me now, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't like wearing this thing. It's not my favorite thing to do. You know, it's not like I didn't grow this beard to cover it up, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, I, 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 don't, I don't like wearing this thing. I, too, have skepticism from time to time about the effectiveness of them. You know, we can talk about, we can have these conversations, pro-mask, anti-mask. Listen, from a pastoral perspective, I didn't, I don't have a degree in epidemiology. <laughs> I went to seminary, Okay. Um, from a pastoral perspective, this is what you should expect to hear from your pastor. I'm not a healthcare worker. I'm not, I'm not a healthcare professional. But as your pastor, I am really not that interested in the debate between pro-mask and anti-mask. I'm just not. And I'm, I'm happy to have that conversation, happy to talk about it with you, and, and, and do so with understanding. I have friends who I love on both sides of all of that, right? But what I am saying is, as, as your pastor... Stack up all the masks in the entire world on one side of the scale and my love for the communion of saints on the other side of the scale. And that scale is going to tip hard and break every single time in favor of the communion of the saints. I love you guys. I believe in the communion of saints. I don't say that to pick a fight. I, <laughs> we really can disagree on this issue, too. Um, I know that the world doesn't want us to, but we, you know, to disagree and get along, but we can. Um, but heaven help us if we break fellowship over it and go find a different church. Now, Paul goes on in his letter here. He goes on. It doesn't just stay there. He goes on not just telling us about the Christian's attitude toward the communion of saints, but secondly now, the Christian's action in the communion of saints. Look down at the end of our passage. Paul says there in verse 15 that he is eager to preach the gospel to them. He's eager to do it. You see that? He's eager to preach the gospel to the Christians in Rome. Why? Well, well, in part because we never stop needing the gospel. Isn't it interesting that Paul tells the Christians already in Rome who belong to Christ Jesus, who are loved by God and called to be saints, he says, I can't wait to preach the gospel to you. 
We never stop needing the gospel, do we? Non-Christian, Christian, we all need the gospel on and on and on. The, the gospel is the way into the Christian life. It is the way onward in the Christian life. We always need the gospel. More and more exposures to the gospel. More and more and more gospel. <laughs> but look also what he says in verse 14. He says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. That means non-Greeks. Both to the wise and to the foolish. He's under obligation, see? That's a funny way to say it. Some of the other translations, your translation might say, I'm a debtor to the Greeks and barbarians. What is Paul talking about here? How is it that he's in debt to them? Well, John Stott, in his commentary in this passage, he actually points out that there's two ways that I can be in debt to you. Think about this. The first way is if I come to you and I borrow $1,000, right? I'm in your debt, aren't I? Until I pay it back. But there's a second way that I can be in debt to you as well. Um, if, if a friend of yours comes to me, right, and he says, here's $1,000, and he tells me to give it to you, I'm in your debt again, aren't I, until I pass it on to you? Well, it's the second sense here in which Paul is indebted to the Romans. He hasn't borrowed anything from them that he has to repay. No, but Jesus has entrusted him with the gospel to the Gentiles, He's under obligation to the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the foolish. He's been charged by Jesus to pass it on. And not only the gospel in general, Paul says he has a sense that God wanted him to use even more specifically in the Romans' life. He Look at verse 11 here. He says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. The spiritual gift, I'm convinced Paul is referring to here, is the gift that Paul has of teaching. See, Paul has been given a gift, just like we all have spiritual gifts. And Paul sees himself, he sees himself as obligated to use that gift to serve the Romans, to strengthen them, he says. Which is what spiritual gifts are for, aren't they? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, for example, that to each is given a gift. Why? For the building up of the church, strengthening and establishing the church. That's what the word there means, that for, for strengthen there, to establish, to build up, to make it secure, to make that church firm and sound and to last all the attacks that are going to come its way against its unity. Paul wants to build up the church. He desires to use his gift of teaching to strengthen them, to establish them. In fact, he, he feels so strongly about it, he has a sense of obligation even as one who has been entrusted this gift by Jesus himself. This is part of the Christian's action in the communion of saints. We are to steward the gifts that God has given to each of us for the building up, the strengthening of the church. Whatever gift or gifts God has given you, He's given them to you to strengthen this body. And very few things will stifle your growth more as a Christian than believing the devil's lie that you have nothing to give but are only to receive in the communion of saints. That's simply not biblical. I mean, read 1 Corinthians 12. Read about the body. Every part is necessary. You are necessary. You are needed. We all are. Which is why I think Paul goes on to talk about the mutual encouragement in verse 12. We need each other. 
We need to be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Paul says he needs that. If he needs that, how much more must we need that? This is why the writer of Hebrews admonishes us not to neglect meeting together, but instead to encourage one another, one another, see? And we said a second ago that very few things will stifle your growth more as a Christian than believing the devil's lie that you have nothing to give but are only to receive in the communion of saints. Well, one thing that will stifle it more is to believe the devil's other lie that you have nothing to receive but are only to give in the communion of saints. Only ever here to receive. Only ever here to give. The first will suffocate you under an ocean of self-pity. The second will suffocate you under a pillow of pride. Either way, you suffocate. That's not how the communion of saints works. The communion of saints works on the basis of mutual encouragement. I have a gift or gifts that have been entrusted to me. They've been entrusted to me by Jesus for the building up of the body. I am therefore under obligation to share those with you, to impart them to you, to strengthen you. And the same goes from you to me and you to each other and all of us to one another. If Paul can say it, surely we can. Any of us can. As believers, we are all participants in the communion of saints, givers and receivers. And as we all see ourselves in that way, if this is part of our action in the communion of saints, do you know what happens? The body is built up. It's built up. We grow together into maturity, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. We grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In love. In other words, every one of us has a vital part to play here. And you need to understand that. You need more than to understand that. You need, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to believe it. To believe in the communion of saints. To believe it in such a way that your attitude is, is on, in an ongoing way, it's being transformed, right? More consistently, more constantly, having a spirit of thanksgiving for other believers in this church. Valuing them, praying for them, without ceasing. Longing to gather just like this. Why? So that we can impart the spiritual gifts that we've been entrusted by Jesus to one another. We might actually be encouraged, mutually established, built up, strengthened, made strong. I mean, what difference would it make? What what difference would it make if every Sunday morning for the rest of the year, you know, let's just cap it at the year, you know, you try something else next year. But what difference would it make if every Sunday for the rest of the year, every single one of us woke up and made our way here on Sunday mornings intentionally and consciously seeking to encourage one another? And to be encouraged by one another. I'm not talking about some vague power of positive thinking, encouragement garbage, where we just trade catchphrases, you know, Twitter tweets or something like that. Verse 12 talks about being mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Do you see it there? That's what encourages one another, our faith. And believe it or not, 
it is really not that hard to do. I was talking to one of our members a couple weeks ago, and we were just having to talk about um, somebody else in our, in our church, as a, an older member of our church, and them being here that week. And the first person said, the, the person I was talking to, they said, oh, I love it when that person is here. I love to hear that person sing. And she said, it, just, it fills me with a sense of peace knowing that that gentleman has been following after Jesus faithfully for decades. And she said, it actually makes me feel safe. Safe. Do you hear that? All you have to do is show up. <laughs> I mean, sing for a, a couple 30 years. You know, that's it. And you will mutually encourage others around you in the body of Christ as you profess these truths about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ even through song and your presence. It's not that hard to encourage others by your faith. You, you can take it a step further. You know, you can intentionally seek to speak words of encouragement to someone uh, on a Sunday morning sitting around you, somebody you know, somebody you don't know, somebody you haven't talked to for a while. You, you know, Paul did it. You can speak truth of God's word to one another, repeat it, you know, pull it out, look at it, share with others what he's been showing you this week in his word. Serving others is an encouragement to others. Greeting people at the door, that's an encouragement to others. Getting involved in Two Pillars Kids. Parents, if you're in this room right now and your kid's downstairs, aren't the people who are volunteering down there, down there right now an encouragement to you? They are. They are. Praying for others is an encouragement to others. Even just listening by faith to others is an encouragement to others. You know, maybe you're here this morning, and when you stepped into this room, you know, 40 minutes ago or however long we've been going, right? You, you felt a little bit like me at the hardware store, you know, and you got here, but now you're here, and you're like, what was I here for again? What am I supposed to be doing? Encourage others by your faith, that's what. Exercise your gifts, build up this body, that's what. Take one of these ideas that you've just heard and just run with it for a little, just give it a try. And we all need this too, don't we? None of us are merely givers, we are to be recipients too. And that truth should shape our interactions with one another. We are all needy here. You should assume the neediness of others around you this morning. Just assume that they're needy. We are needy. We're needy. And it sounds so simple to say, but it is a basic component to our discipleship, and I'm learning more and more that we can't just assume the basic building blocks. When someone asks you how you're doing, and they encourage you, after you share with them, now it's your turn to ask them and encourage them. It works both ways. It has to work both ways. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be seasons when you just come in needing. There will be. And when you're there, you, listen, your pastors want to come around you. We want to provide pastoral care, pastoral counseling in those seasons for you. But, but, but listen, we are all needy. And we are all needed. And so thank God for Jesus. <laughs> all right? I mean, without him, without him, we would be lost in a flaming pile of codependence. That's where we would be. That's not what Paul's talking about, though. There is a massive difference between codependence and interdependence in the Christian life. Codependence says, I need you. I need you, really, in order to be me. I'm not me without you. It's rooted in each other, see? Interdependence, on the other hand, is rooted in Jesus. And the deep 
deep dependence that each of us has in Jesus and the deep dependence that each other has in Jesus. Because what we ultimately need is Jesus. The one who came and lived and died so that we would die to ourselves and live for him and live for others. Church, it's our deep dependence upon Jesus that builds the strong, mutually encouraging, healthy interdependencies amongst the communion of saints. And so let's be reminded, let's be reminded together this morning that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, right, on the night that he gathered together with those whom he loved, these disciples that he called his friends, he, he took bread. And we had given thanks. He broke it. And he, he said in a, in a plural sense, this is my body which is for you. <laughs> Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Drink of it, all of you, for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, you have, you have not saved us simply into an individualized relationship with you, but rather you have saved us into a family a global and diverse family spanning continents and, and centuries, but that also finds expression in the local body of Christ right here, right now, local church. And so Jesus, would you remind us this morning by this bread that, that your body was not simply broken for us as individuals, but for us as your body. Remind us by this, this wine, this juice, that your blood was not simply poured out for us as solo Christians, but for us as your new covenant people. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us this morning as we fix our eyes upon Jesus through this table to also fix our eyes upon one another, portraying and nurturing our unity creating a picture of the unity with the Father that you have purchased for us through the body and the blood of Jesus. We pray this in his loving name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.